In this next chapter seven, which is the BS in the traditional financial wisdom, I took a lot of things that I saw people doing wrong and some of the things I was doing wrong myself and called them out in a list format and I drilled down into it. Some of these things didn't quite make sense putting into other chapters, so I decided to compile it all in one. So if you are brand new to our ecosystem, this might be a great chapter to start off with because these are the things that I would say sophisticated investors, people who emulate what banks do and the money professionals do out there, these are the things that they don't do. Now, I don't want it, you guys to get all sad and maybe offended that if you're doing one of these things, you're doing it wrong. All I'm saying is just come in with an open mind and listen through the justification why you don't do these types of things and also take the justifications and apply it to other things that you may do down the road. One thing that I, as I'm writing into the next book, one thing that I talked about in this book was maybe you don't buy your own primary residence right off the bat. You take that money and you go buy full rental properties. You certainly don't pay down your house because that creates the situation that most people are in, house rich, cash poor. As I progress as an investor and what's going to be put into this next book coming out is what do you do once you get to end game, four or five million dollars net worth? Then how do you also look at your finances when it's 10 million, 20 million dollars plus? When do you buy that house to live in? Something that my wife always complains to me. When does it make sense? And then how do you do it? Because when you're buying a multi-million dollar house, you don't go get a $8,000 jumbo fan made Freddie Mac loan, which is pretty much the biggest thing that you could get. You put the debt somewhere else. And a little bit of teaser in the book, you know, that option is security back line of credits. But that is an option that comes after building your net worth with equity-based real estate. There are some people in our family office groups that have much higher net worths, over four or five million dollars. And for them to play around with security back line of credits makes a lot of sense because it is a very safe way to grow your net worth. However, if you're under two, three million dollars net worth, in my opinion, you can't do that. You have to go and take a slightly higher chance and go after equity deals in real estate so you can get the tax benefits to to shelter your income today so you can pay less taxes today. But anyway, I'm putting too much of it out there. It, you'll find it in the next book. If you guys want to help me out, write a review for this current book, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash book. Take a look at the Amazon links we have. You can buy the Kindle version for 99 cents or the physical copy for about five bucks. It would be really helpful if you bought it and you write a review, take a screenshot of the review for us, send it to team at simplepassivecastle.com, and we'll hook you up with a free e-product as a thank you. And we've probably got a couple more chapters to go. And if you guys want to help be a reviewer for the next book before it goes out, also email the team and enjoy the chapter. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Chapter 7. The BS in the Traditional Financial Wisdom The mission I've been on since leaving my day job is to dispel a lot of the money myths about financial dogma out there. I took the financial red pill, again using that matrix reference, when I bought my first rental property back in 2009. 
Again, I discovered that a lot of the financial tactics of the wealthy are very different than what normal people do. These tactics are very simple, but very different than what your mom and dad did or what they taught you to do. I don't go to a cubicle every day anymore, but I do remember the conversations around the water cooler about putting X amount of money into your 401k and average Joe conversations about Bitcoin or Tesla stocks. Thank God I'm not at the W2 job anymore. That stuff drove me crazy. You put more money into this 401k, which relies on the accumulation theory, which says save up two to four million dollars while blindly putting your money into this government or retirement sponsored plan. And then when you're old, you can retire. Granted, you won't be as mobile, but you can live off that big pile of cash. I took a look at this traditional accumulation strategy and realized you need to buy things and that you need a cash flow to do that unless you're going to eat away at your pile of cash. Stop. Why not begin with the end in mind and create many streams of income today? That's what rental properties or syndications do for you. You're creating multiple streams of income or mini pensions. And the beauty of this is your full-time job will likely pay for your daily living expenses today. But these mini pensions will kick off more cash flows so that you can acquire more mini streams of income. By the time you get halfway to critical mass, which is your personal monthly cash flow goal, most people aim for about $10,000 of passive cash flow a month. You get to that point where you can start taking some of that cash flow and really have fun with it. A lot of us were good little boys and girls. We went to school, we studied hard, we worked at our jobs, we put our heart, sweat, and tears into it. We invest in everything we're supposed to. Meanwhile, in the shadows, there are these large Wall Street companies. They create retail products for a lot of hardworking Americans to invest in. And what you don't realize is that they're robbing your retirement blind. This was made so clear to me when I had my first rental property. I was making more than 30% return on investment on my money. And I looked over at my 401k at 8-10% to and I was like, where the heck did all my money go? What's happening here? I started to invest in real estate and was getting higher returns and realized that Wall Street was a system to extract profits via hidden fees for them. I was doing a lot of index funds when I was starting out. Of course, I'm not advocating for people to leave their day jobs and spend a whole bunch of time on their investments. Just do enough to get the minimum effective dose. See what happens to your net worth when your money grows at 15-20% to a year compared to more conventional 8-10% to a year. Look at where you end up 5, 10, 15 years in the future. You can download the net worth tracker sheet at simplepassivecashflow.com slash legacy. If you follow what the herds do, you're going to get slaughtered with them. If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you have seen me well change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom, so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my 123 system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassacashflow.com slash club. Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. If everybody did what I did and bought a few prudent cash flowing rentals and eventually paid them off in the future, 
Who would work? Who would get our coffees? Who would design bridges? Who would do root canals for us? You might do it because you enjoy the work and you like to help people, but in the grand scheme of things, society might crumble. One of the biggest financial mistakes I see people making is blindly buying the house they live in. The house you live in does not make you much money other than the mere fact of keeping up with the pace of inflation. Whereas when you're buying assets such as real estate or rental properties or syndications, you're making money four ways. The appreciation is on par with buying your house, but you're also getting money with the cash flow, tax benefits, and the fact that the tenant is paying down the mortgage for you. This is the big difference where another family is putting in their heart, sweat, and tears to pay down your mortgage for you so you can accumulate equity. And then the appreciation. I know younger families want to live near their jobs, but most times they can't afford it. They want a larger house for their kids to run around the yard and play in. But let's be honest, what kids actually run around outside and actually play and not on their iPads? And they want to be in a good school district. What do they do? They buy that house, that expensive house, and they lose that down payment money that should have gone to going to deals. And they have that big mortgage that jacks up their cash flow on a monthly basis. If you're looking at a $600,000 house, which is a starter home for most, you're talking about nearly $150,000 of capital that you need to save. If you could do it, you're probably in the top tier of Americans who can actually save that much. So congratulations. And by the way, you definitely have found your tribe of Fugra savers at simplepassivecashflow.com. But what you could have done with that money is purchase five turnkey rentals or a handful of completely passive syndication deals that each make you a few hundred dollars of cash flow every single month. So you have five sets of tenants paying your mortgage every single month. Something you're not going to have when you buy your house since you're the only one paying down your mortgage. Yeah, you're that sucker. You're going to be doing all the work to do that. Whereas you buy rentals properties or get into syndication deals, people are paying down this debt for you. Think of it as leveraging your own personal self, the tax benefits times five rental properties. Of course, when you're in syndication deals, you get the forced appreciation potential of turning units and bumping rents. When you buy this big house, the supposed American dream, you're just burdened with this big mortgage and for most $3,000 monthly mortgage is huge. From a high level, that large mortgage is taking away your cash flow. Now cash flow is a very important thing and in this respect, I see it as oxygen, the lifeline of your finances. Now a lot of these folks have some emotional attachment to the house. I'll repeat that. Some people, maybe not you, probably your spouse, has some emotional attachment to the house. I get it. Maybe you like the idea of buying rental properties and building up your asset column to increase your cash flow. If you buy a home to live in, you're screwing up your finances and you won't have that monthly free cash flow to go and buy more properties. A big caveat here is that most people should buy a house. Wait, I thought you said that we shouldn't buy houses. Alright, stick with me here. I'm talking about the people who aren't great at saving or managing money because a house is a forced savings account and most people are really horrible with their money. If they got 500 bucks lying around, most people have credit card debt. Most people don't put away 10 to 20% of their paycheck to savings or investments, but you're different. You're the diligence folks who actually made it to chapter seven of this book who are financially mature. So this is a double-edged sword. If you do this the wrong way, it can hurt you. But if you're good with your money, you can take that free capital to buy assets, rental properties, syndication opportunities, and the like. And you can grow your net worth much more quickly and more prudently and safely in one of the most proven hard asset classes out there. A lot of my clients are investing in 529 college savings plans for their kids. 
a 401k for themselves or the other government retirement vehicles when they first come to me. The big problem I have with this is you're confined to the retail investments which are for the masses and they are laden with high fees. If you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to get what everybody else gets. The available investments in these kinds of programs are just like the crappy cafeteria options in high school. But I'm giving you that magical off-campus pass that gives you the opportunity to go off in your car and eat whatever you want no longer confined to what is available in that crappy cafeteria. There needs to be a little bit of due diligence around it, of course, but you open up a wild blue ocean of better investment options. My recommendation is not to do any 529 plans. Instead, do an infinite banking policy, which utilizes life insurance in a very different, unique way. And a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, is just a bastardized mutual fund of real estate holdings what you're trying to get away from. It's like going shopping at Newman Marcus or Nordstrom. You're getting the same thing, but you're just paying way too much for it. Most of my clients and other simple passive cash flow nation members prefer to buy the basic stuff at non-retail pricing. So REITs are just like retail version of investing. What I'm advocating for is to take a little bit of ownership in your portfolio. It doesn't take too much education. It will require building up a bit of a peer network of pure passive investors who can help you to choose between good deals and bad ones. However, this will allow you to get better returns while investing in more recession-proof assets. Another principle we follow is investing in deals where we know the operator directly and we cut out all the middlemen. Crowdfunding websites operate as electronic middlemen. They're making money and charge the real estate operator heavy fees to list their deal, which ultimately comes out of the investor's cut. This is why my investment firm does not use crowdfunding websites to raise capital for us because one, we have a low investor base, you guys, and two, I don't want to pay their exorbitant fees. When I invest in syndication deals and private placements as an LP, I want to know the operator personally. Call me crazy. Second, I want to cut all these unnecessary marketers and middlemen who ultimately take my returns out of my pocket. Normal conventional financial advice tells us life insurance is a scam, right? But remember, the financial gurus on TV, they're catering towards the financially irresponsible and immature. They're telling people not to go into debt to the people who are unable to determine the difference between good debt and bad debt. What the wealthy do is they bank on themselves. They use one of the most secure investment vehicles out there, which is life insurance contracts with AAA-rated insurance companies, which have been around for centuries. They're backed by insurance companies which invest for long-term capital preservation. These are the guys who own large skyscrapers and the Class A assets. And they ultimately don't really care about making a return, but just keeping their capital. With life insurance and infinite banking, the underlying trick is that it's using whole life insurance, a product that a lot of us are aware of but may have a stigma attached to it. The way it's customized and configured turns it toward what we're trying to use it for, which is a store of capital or liquidity. There are three major ways to configure these policies, and when you increase one, there is a trade-off and takes away from the other. What we're trying to do here is to increase the amount of liquidity that we have. Liquidity is putting money into the policy, but being able to take a loan from the policy the next day. Therefore, taking that money and investing it in assets that produce more income for us, like rentals or syndications. We try to maximize this leverage. But to do that, we need to customize the policy to minimize the amount of returns we get and minimize the amount of debt payout, which most insurance providers and salesmen will probably think you're crazy for doing. Why would you not use the whole life product to increase returns well, or more debt payout? This is what a lot of high net worth families do. And these are the secrets of the wealthy. So pay attention because here is the trick. 
What we're trying to do is give up the death payout component and the returns or interest rate that the policy generates in order to maximize liquidity because that liquidity is going to arm us with capital to invest in much higher yielding investments, allowing us to grow our net worth faster. All this in an account that grows tax-free because of some IRS code that deems it tax-free. It's a little bit of a loophole. Plus, another perk is that your life insurance account is essentially free from litigation. Now, we're going to beat up on 401k plans and retirement accounts, including Roth IRAs, as stated earlier. We don't like 401k plans and other employee-sponsored plans because they trap us in a cafeteria of crappy investment options that are very profitable for the investment broker. But in some cases, you're able to self-direct these accounts and get out of the garbage cafeteria and into the alternative asset world, such as real estate. Of course, you'll hear people say, what do you mean? You don't have a retirement account. What will you retire off of? Little do they know, I have several thousand rental properties. These are my retirement accounts. It just doesn't happen to be in a government-qualified retirement plans. If you're one of those people who can't keep your hands off your money or segregate your retirement funds from your spend-this-month money, or spend this year pile, cover your eyes. You guys don't know why, I don't know why you guys are even reading this book. But I think most people reading are able to segregate their piles of money. I think the biggest reason why people say to do retirement plans is because it grows tax-free, which is true. But we're going to break down several reasons why not to use such an account. There are more cons to do. The first reason why we don't use retirement accounts. Look at where the tax brackets are today. Most financial wisdom is predicated on an assumption that you're going to get old and stop working in your job and that your adjusted gross income will go way down. But most reading this book, myself included, are going to make a lot more money in the future because we're growing our net worth through prudent investments that are spewing off cash flow, which gets to a point where you hit your critical mass and you grow your money faster than you can spend it. You're likely to be making more money in the future. Therefore, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. So pay your taxes today while in the lower tax bracket instead of the future. Point number two, the government just pumps free money, made up money into the system. How are they going to pay for all these government entitlement programs? Sign note, on the one hand, they're going to increase inflation, which is an insidious way of diluting away their debt. So to mitigate this, you want to hold hard, tangible assets such as real estate, which is basically a hedge against inflation. But back to the point at hand, this is the case why certain debt is good. But back to how the government will pay for all this money other than increasing taxes in the future. Just call me a bit of a negative Nancy, but I don't see taxes coming down in the future. So pay your taxes now while the tax percentages are lower. Don't pay taxes on this pile in the future when they'll likely be higher. When your money is in a retirement plan, you're not getting taxed on it. You're making a deal with Uncle Sam where they get to tax you at whatever rate in the future. The untaxed money currently stored in people's retirement plans is the greatest potential source for government revenue. You bet they know it's there, which is another reason why potentially all the financial dogma is to put money into the 401k. It's to bail out the government when they screw it up and they just need to tax the 401k stuff at whatever they want. Point number three, a lot of us who invest and grow our money at non-retail investment rates are likely to be financially free in under a decade. Most of my investors are able to save at least $30,000 a year and some better ones are able to save upwards to $100,000 a year better. So the retirement age for a lot of these people is today. I just like the option to get at this pile of money to do whatever I want with it, whenever I want. We're cracking the paradigm on financial literacy and conventional financial wisdom. Lastly, here's the game changer. For syndication investors, take advantage of the current tax laws of bonus depreciation via cost segregations. By going into larger deals, you're going to get a whole bunch of passive losses that you can potentially use to offset your taxes. 
the wealthy like to use their passive losses to potentially lower their tax rates today or whenever they have a higher income year. So there's a little bit of an art form to this, but it's a lever that when you have these passive activity losses, you're able to control how much taxes you pay. When you're investing in a retirement plan, you don't have the ability to use these tax benefits that come from your investments. So a lot of investors will invest via a self-directed IRA, a solo 401k, but they don't get the passive losses from their investments. Plus, they're also subject to UDFI tax and other taxes on the leverage portion of their investment, which gets a little tricky. In the grand scheme of things, it's simply better not to invest through any of these qualified retirement plans, which are 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, and the As I started to invest and acquire multiple properties and then go into syndications, private placements, and joining different masterminds, I noticed a lot of these money myths were something that folks laughed about, and they laughed at themselves because they were duped into thinking these were all true. Buying a house to live in, invest in retirement plans, work at your job for 50 years, and so on. I went through a phase where all I was trying to do was gain financial independence and get to a point where I didn't have to do anything. And I think a lot of us have that type of mindset. We want to get to a point where we are financially free so that we can travel and do what we want, with whom we want, and when we want. I was very fortunate to get into this mindset pretty early and these ideas started to percolate in my head. What would my life look like after I had more than $20,000 of passive cash flow a month? And something that kept resonating with me were these financial myths out there, hurting a lot of hardworking, high-quality people and the shrinking middle class that pays more than their fair share of taxes because it sure isn't the wealthy doing it and it sure ain't the poor people. These are the people powering society with their contributions through their work and professions. I just thought it was really sad and unfortunate for a lot of hardworking folks. I set off on this mission to help out these hardworking professionals duped into these financial myths. And trust me, so this kind of happened to me back in 2015. I was not to the point where I had $10,000, $20,000 of passive income a month, but my head was in the right place where, yeah, I'd be in a hell of a good place by the time I hit my age 40. Certainly wouldn't be working my day job there. And... I'm able to, when I'm at my day job, I'm able to simulate in my head, like, what's coming after? Is this all to life? Do I just live off my ten dollars to $20,000 a month, go and take some pictures of my food and put it on Instagram and show the world and just do nothing? A lot of people who go, get to financial independence do, and they just live that basic lifestyle. And then I, you know, I started to realize people that kind of are the most happy, they help other people. And for me, like, Getting to financial independence, that was the best thing I knew. So why not help people with what I'm good at? So that's where the start of the podcast all began. A lot of these financial myths out there, it frustrates me a lot because a lot of these things are ingrained in our society. The brokerages and Wall Street companies, they spend like millions and millions of dollars before they pay you returns, right? This is all the expense ratio above the line costs that they pay to create the marketing scheme where all this financial dogma is in there. Everybody wants you to buy a house to live in. The lending brokers, the real estate brokers, everybody's pushing people into the wrong stuff. And I thought I could be that one voice of reason to say, just run the numbers. The numbers will tell you what to do. And there's another way you can do this. to give you guys and empower you with the right information.